following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Hey everyone, two things we wanted to address real quick before we got into the fun of Minute 64. First, as has been called out, there was a little bit of a screw-up, pretty much my fault, with Minute 63's episode. Basically, the wrong file got uh, dropped in. We ended up repeating an episode from the previous week. It has been fixed, so if it didn't sound right yesterday, if you didn't get the proper Minute 63, please re-download or go on to our page and uh, give it a listen. Sorry about that. Second, and more importantly... I wanted to give the best to Eric's family. They had a wonderful cat named Lucy, who uh, was basically their child before their children. And Lucy's been having some health issues lately, and sadly, they lost their cat. I know Eric and his kids and his wife all loved the cat very much, and was a member of the family. I want Eric and uh, his family to know that we're thinking of him. My family lost uh, some that's not too long ago, and it's uh, really hard, and uh, Eric's such a good guy, and he's a good friend, and he's a great co-host, and uh, we're thinking of him. Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts, from Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad, and introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric We are at minute 64 of Flash Gordon. Eric, how are you tonight? Brad, I'm alive! Live, live. <laughs> <laughs> he does his own echo, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we don't do a whole lot of effects here. Every now and then, if I'm lucky enough to catch somebody swearing and editing, I'll bleep it, but that's about as far as we go. This is, uh, <laughs> this is the wild west of podcasting, folks. So, joining us also alive, live, live, uh, we have Molly from uh, the Cabin... Uh, Molly, what's the title? I, I keep wanting to say Cabin in the Woods Minute, but that is way too long a title. Cabin Minute Cast. Cabin Minute Cast, great show, talking about the excellent movie Cabin in the Woods. Molly, how are you tonight? I am well. How are you guys doing? Excellent, excellent. And speaking of excellent, the uh, co-creator of... The co-creator of the Cosmic Geppetto podcast and the producer of this very podcast, Flash Gordon Minute, Jarf is here. Jarf, how are you? I'm great, but I wish that people would swear more on this podcast because our bleep space sound effect is cool as (laughs) (laughs) I can laugh because Brad has to do all that technical stuff. Oh, <laughs> there has been one or two occasions where Jarf has emailed me. He's like, "Hey, you missed one." It's like, right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was Kathleen, and it was, <laughs> yeah, and, and it wasn't her saying, but it was like, oh, she dropped one of the biggins. Yeah. Oh no, <laughs> it was really funny because. All of the surrounding conversation is like, oh, sorry, Brad, I just dropped the F-bomb. Oh, it's okay, Kathleen, because I edited it out with this spacey sound effect. It was actually Jarf's idea, and I was like, I didn't hear a space sound effect. (laughs) I actually did hear the F-bomb, didn't I? (laughs) 
<laughs> Let me message <laughs> Otter since just this dropped. <laughs> a little a little look behind the curtains, folks. Um, the, the way the editing works is I, I really focus on editing the transitions from one person talking to another because you sort of try to get rid of people talking over each other. And if there's like a long space of conversation where it's one person talking, I'll actually leave those alone because uh, it, I, it's, it's probably like a three to one ratio. If you're really trying to like really go through the conversations and edit, like one hour of conversation can be three hours of editing. And I don't have that kind of time for three times a week show. So, uh, I uh, I sometimes mistakenly assume that people aren't swearing as much as they sometimes are, and uh, I try to remember <laughs> which which episodes have someone who's a particularly uh, a, a swamp mouth to borrow a term from uh, <laughs> Deadpool too. But uh, uh, Kathleen, she's such a sweetheart. But no, I forget she will swear like a sailor who stubs her toe. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about minute sixty-four. Eric, walk us through what happens in this. Uh, we get some more Voltan being Voltani. Yes, <laughs> people, that? we pick this minute up right where the last minute ended. Isn't that an incredible uh, philosophy to think about? Yeah, um, uh, we're in the middle of Voltan accosting Dale and, and Zarkov uh, trying to uh, help out in any way he can. And Zarkov saying, "Oh, um, we're going to bring you guys to to Ming." And 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 Zarkov and Dale like, "Oh, you you got to be crazy." And, and Zarkov specifically says, you hate Ming, I know you're only waiting for the right moment to attack him. And I would like to know where Zarkov developed mind-reading powers from, because when the hell has Zarkov ever interacted with Voltan at any point in his entire life to know this? Well, the, I think this is going back to your your trenchant analysis that Zarkov has he's had experience with authoritarian regimes and, mm. and escaping the Nazis. And so he came into this situation and just right away, it, it clicked for him. Ming is someone who's oppressing all of these people. And so I want to look for the people who are, are going to rise up against him. So he, he, that was the first thing that he said when they marched him into the palace. Right. And so I don't think that he saw any indication of it. He's, trying to push them in that direction there was also a little bit of ming threatening in a roundabout way uh, um voltan's daughter right clitus says uh, earlier in the movie you'll sacrifice your daughter right mm-hmm. so but you're right it's still pretty much of a reach zarkov thinking that voltan's so dissatisfied that he's willing to immediately side with people who are basically strangers, uh, other than uh, sort of a vague threat against his daughter. And also, Voltan is obviously someone who just likes a fight. You could probably, with a little effort, get him to like try to rebel against anybody. He's just like, hey, it'll be a fun fight. He's like, all right, I'm in! I don't know why I I thought this, and, and maybe this was just, I'm, I'm just being full of it, but I wondered... If there was some additional contextual information that um, Hans might have gleaned when he was in the machine where they were trying to pull his memories out, like if there was some maybe conversation with minions or the general or something in in the transfer of information because he, you know, basically got supposedly made into this counter agent. So I'm just wondering, did he get fed some other information and just with his own background kind of developed a narrative around this. I don't know if that's like sensible or not, but that's for some reason, that's how I thought that he maybe put two and two together. It would sort of be a missed opportunity because I don't think they ever, they, 
they say, oh, we're going to, you know, give him the whammy with all the information that he needs and the whole thing. is like, don't go above a three. All right, let's go to six and all that stuff. It actually would have been interesting further out to see him, like, I have, you know, I was given all this information. And that could have been made him a, made him a MacGuffin where I, I know all the battle plans. It's like, I know all the codes of the ships or something. And, and they, they don't do that. But you're right, it would have been great if he he could have said it's like well i have all the information from ming and i know that you know, they're planning on assassinating you the first chance they have or something like that it, it could have helped be a more convincing plea that he's making to get uh Voltaine on his side i see what you're both saying it could have functioned similarly to how they used xander and buffy the vampire slayer so there was the, the one Halloween where they all turned into whatever their costumes were, and he wore an army costume, so he turned into army guy. And then they would they would keep referring back to that anytime they needed some kind of equipment or weaponry. So they would say, "Where where did you get all these guns and rocket launchers?" And he'd say, "Oh yes, I requisitioned them back when I was army guy." So that's how we suddenly have even though we're high school students, <laughs> access to an RPG. So <laughs> it, it's, it allows for some lazy writing, but Flash Gordon is all about doing things fast and loose, so I think it would fit right in. <laughs> right, yeah. If he would have said that, it's like, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And it would have, um, you know, during the big fights at the end, it would have given Zarko even more value. Right, he could have said, oh, there's this weakness in this part of the force field, that kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Totally. They needed us in the writer's room. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, us along with the uh, two dozen monkeys that they had at typewriters. <laughs> <laughs> we love this movie, and it wouldn't have worked if the writing had been yeah, any more polished. This is, but, you know, still, it does have a little bit of the, you know, monkeys at typewriter feel sometimes. Um... One thing I had to, we haven't called out where Sarkov, in the last minute, he picked up Dale and, you know, he's, so, he's just so lecherous. And then he puts her on top of the table. And this minute, he just spins the table. <laughs> and we were talking a little bit about how you wonder how uh, how well Zarkov is treating his people because all we see is. Voltan. I mean, Voltan. yeah, how good Voltan is uh, treating his people. And, uh, you know what? I, I hope nobody's hungry. In, in, in his kingdom, <laughs> because uh, he is not showing a great respect for food. It's like it's you're <laughs> no. gonna have to throw that stuff out. That's just bad manners. And mm-hmm. and Eric, you talked about Hans trying to intervene. Yeah. So it, so listeners, kind of recall the scene. Voltan has just picked Dale up, put her on the table, spun the table around, and to save her, Hans grabs the table to stop it from spinning. Yeah. While while she's standing in the middle of the table in high heels. That didn't strike me as like take her hand and stabilize her, right? Mm. Uh, it, yeah, there could have very easily been a scene of just Dale stops spins flying like right off the table, possibly off of the balcony. Right. Yeah, the physics, <laughs> the physics of that should have sent her flying, yeah. Right, exactly. And and it's not like they're they're in a ranch. They're in Sky City. So one fall could be the end of Dale. Right, because don't they have like a moon door that's around the table? 
I'm just trying to picture this in my head. I believe you're correct. There's there's definitely a lot of ways you could fall. This is not. First off, there's way too many kids in this area and not enough like railings. Well, I mean, they 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 do have wings. I mean, everyone that lives there, you're not going to really fall. You're just going to mm, float back up. I mean, right. they don't they don't care about if you don't have wings. They don't care about. It's like, hey, you don't have wings. <laughs> That's your problem. We have wings. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So. So, uh, we uh, we get a line that's a very famous line. Uh, he says, "Gordon's alive." Uh, now this this line uh, gets gets used a lot, and Brian Blessed attributed it the popularity of this line not actually specifically to the movie, but because in there's an alternate version of the Flash theme song. There's the one we hear in in the movie that's on the soundtrack. That's just the song itself. But there is a version that was on a Queen Greatest Hits album that I had as a kid that incorporates dialogue and sound effects from the movie throughout the song. And in that one is where I got my intro uh, to this minute from, where you hear Voltaire say, Gordon's alive, and then he goes, I, 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 after it. And <laughs> Brian Blessed's theory is the reason why that line is so popular is because it was in the song, not necessarily because of the movie. Hmm. I had the exact same note, not not from researching it and and it being a theory of Brian Blessed's. That was that was my hypothesis. Hmm. It, I had that same soundtrack, and I I watched Flash Gordon many many times as a kid, but I listened to the soundtrack just an exponential number more. Then I watched the movie just because of access and and I could walk around with my Walkman and listening to it. And so it was those clips from the soundtrack that really sunk in. And I was actually listening to the soundtrack that cemented my fandom for Flash Gordon because I could mm. revisit it. And the, and the clips really help you to to get back into the movie that way. So, Absolutely. yeah, I agree 100%. Then uh, Voltan does something else. He pinches Dale, <laughs> and she reacts. And this is an, an improv. This was not planned. <laughs> Brian Blessed did it. Melody Anderson was not expecting it. Her reaction is legitimate. It, it, she, she did not know that was going on there. And in an interview that I saw, Blessed said that the reason that he did it was he wanted to show Dale that she's still in danger, that she thinks everything's going to be okay. They've been rescued by the Hawkmen. She sees Zarkov trying to convince uh, Voltan that, you know, to start a rebellion. And it was his way of showing, no, 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 I, I haven't agreed to do anything. I'm not going to necessarily fight Meng. You're, you're, everything's not okay. There used to be a lot more pinching someone's rear end humor in movies. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you see that as much anymore. Are you sentimental for goosing? <laughs> I think less goosing is good. I uh, No, definitely not sentimental about it. It's one of those things that you would see all the time in movies. It's like it's always somebody who's just a scamp and a lovable rogue. And it's one of those things where, thank God people don't actually do that in real life. Uh, and I don't know if they ever did. I am uh, I'm trying to think of occurrences where I saw some some guys like ha ha ha, and then you know just squeeze a poor woman's rear end. I'm pretty sure that's a good way to get punched in the face, as you should. <laughs> uh, and it's just a trope that you used to see all the time in movies. Uh, that you know I don't think there was a real 
real world uh, counterpart to it. Uh, the the one uh, and there's a handful of those where it's like uh, the one I always think about whenever I see it in movies and you see it all the time at the fair. There's a kissing booth at the fair. It's like I've been to a thousand fairs. There's never a kissing booth. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> I've been to parties with a kissing booth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Was that like a made-up booth, or was that a rented booth? This was like a punk rock house party. So <laughs> I guess it was made up, because everything was made up. <laughs> it was to raise money for a good cause, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the good cause was so that their pimp could buy a new fur coat. <laughs> no, nobody nobody was being prostituted. This was all consensual punks wanting to make out with each yeah. other. Yeah. But it wasn't a 1950s fair, right? No, it wasn't. <laughs> I'm sure there have been parties. Obviously, there have been parties with that sort of thing. But just going to the fair is like, all right, Betty Sue, Suey Bet, and Amy Bet, Sue Sam, but you know. <laughs> All the girls with obviously who came from Catholic schools, you're just gonna let the guys line up. He's like that, that happened all the time in TV shows and movies. Never in real life mm-hmm. uh, at, at a fair, in, in like a you know supposedly you know this is a small town that's pure of heart and yeah yeah that all the time in movies doesn't exist aside from punk rock parties with Jarf. <laughs> <laughs> but it also had a social work element because it sounds like there was some sort of cash exchange that went to some sort of like nonprofit situation. Is that exactly okay? So it was altruistic. A hundred percent. Did you shell out? Yes. Or, or 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 were you the person operating the booth? No, they wanted to make money. Yo. <laughs> Oh my gosh, was that like in those days before Square? So everything was like a cash-based kind of a, a business then? It was long before Square. <laughs> It'd be great if there's like, they just had a little signs like, dollar for kiss, here's the Venmo account that you should send your money to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there was a, a pinched rear end. <laughs> which, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that happened. All right, so, so Eric, what happens next? Uh, well, I got some just random Voltan since since we've got this is this is really an awesome Voltan week we're in here. I'm just gonna I have some random Voltan uh, comments that I'm just gonna throw out there because when the hell else am I gonna say them? Uh, the first one is earlier, much earlier in the season, I talked about how uh, Clytus was the first and at that point only Funko Pop figure that I had ever bought. However, eagle-eyed viewers, no, wait, no, eagle-eared listeners who also look at our website will see that I, the picture of me is me holding a Clytus and a Voltan Funko Pop. And I was not lying before. In the interim, I have purchased my second Funko Pop, and indeed it is Voltan. Nice. Mm. And my plan is for my third and fourth Funko Pops are to be the Ming and Flash to complete the four Flash Funko Pops out there. You're going to round out the set. I yeah. love it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the second- Flash Funko Pop looks really good. He's got that... Easter egg football. Yep, yep. He's in the shirt. Yep. Uh, next Voltan comment. I realize I, I've, I've never mentioned, as we keep track of, one of the things we keep running track of is 
all the actors that we share with Star Wars, and I completely forgot, or not forget, I just forgot to mention that, of course, Brian Blessed is Boss Nass in The Phantom yeah. Menace. That's, uh, that's number seven. I guess that would be his most successful movie, or the movie he was in that made the most money, if that's how you're going to measure success, which mm. eh, sort of hurts. We should yeah. put together a list, though, because I love all of these Flash Gordon Star Wars tie-ins. No, I am. That's what I'm saying. He's number seven on the list. We, we will have to release the list on the uh, on our Facebook group at some point. Because, yeah, you're right. It, it's Eric's been doing a great job keeping track of this list. Uh, between this list and the lazy writing list, which might be a, bit, <laughs> a little bit longer. Yeah, I got uh, we got four lists so far. We got the lazy writing list. We got the Star Wars connection list. We got the Howard Blake list. And we have the... Um, I don't even know, Brad, if I've told you about this one. I've been keeping track of all the times that we've blown a guest's mind with something list. Well, we should have warned you. We do have former guests that are, I think, they're just now curled up in a ball, crying still, because <laughs> b- because it turns out things aren't right in the hills. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Porkins list. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. That was the first one, wasn't it? That was the yeah, the first one was the Porkins was that that's what made me start keeping track of the list was the Porkins mind blowing yeah yes it's a it's a riddle wrapped in an enigma wrapped in Porkins <laughs> we bust straight poetry on Flash Gordon Minute now tasty <laughs> yeah it was fun. if you haven't had a chance to hear it yeah one of our early episodes what our guest said is was talking about Hootkins. Mr. Hookins is like, oh, yeah, he's great. You know what? He could win a Porkins lookalike contest. And then there's Eric and I just waiting for them to, like, drop the uh, the punchline on us. And then we realize, like, oh, they don't know it's the same actor. Oh! It's like, That's awesome. Yeah, it's like, yes, he probably <laughs> should win a Porkins lookalike contest. Because it's Porkins. <laughs> I had another Voltan note. So, Gordon's alive. That's obviously the classic soundbite, right? He actually has another soundbite just in this minute that is just, I think, overshadowed by Gordon's alive, but is amazing in and of itself. Eric, do you know the one that I'm thinking of? Hmm, not off the top of my head. So, Hans... He's he's still trying to coax him into the rebellion, and he it's, it, after Voltan learns that Gordon's alive, he says, "Oh, he he's holed up in Arborea with Prince Baron," and that's when. Oh, <laughs> do you do you want to give us a line? Baron. <laughs> Just straight up contempt. Oh, such hatred of that word. <laughs> So cool. It, yeah, and very much looking forward to the two of them sort of locking horns uh, because they, they couldn't be playing their characters any different. You have Timothy Dalton just sort of underplaying this this Robin Hood-esque role, trying you know, bring a lot of um, reserve dignity. <laughs> I'm sorry. You don't think someone can be dignified when they're dressed up like, as Kathleen said, Space Robin Hood? <laughs> I mean, oh, wow. There's just the reserve dignity. I mean, I, you know, it's such a... But it is kind of a precursor to 007. I mean, I can totally see... I was like, oh, my God, someone watched this and they were like, yes, he should play Bond. Like, I totally got that. Like, 
I had never gotten that before. But, you know, the little mustache and even you know, the green. Yeah. Just reserved dignity was just, oof, yeah. It's a weird movie to say that, I know. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's just, you're right. He's a, Timothy Dalton's a, a consummate professional. Yeah. No, I apologize. I just, it really, yeah, it struck a, it struck a chord with me. So thank you. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, Timothy Dalton is coming across as a, as a, as a professional. Brian Blessed looks like someone who he's just walking around the set doing stuff and doesn't realize the cameras are on. <laughs> so very, very, uh, so that'll lead to good conflict later. We, we move on. Uh, wait, hold oh, on. Oh, no, wait, oh, one oh, more. Because oh. especially because we're talking about uh, Brian Blessed's voice. Uh, one of the shows my youngest kid watches is a cartoon called Peppa Pig, which is a British cartoon about a pig and her family and other animals that live in Peppa Pig's town. And he was watching the episode uh, a few weeks ago. And I hear a voice. The character's name is Grandpa Rabbit. And I say, that absolutely positively is Brian Blessed. And I go to IMDb, and indeed, Brian Blessed is Grandpa Rabbit on Peppa Pig. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> there's a great deal of fun and money you can make by just doing voiceover work. And, uh, it's, you know, and Brian Blessed, who's in his 80s, uh, yeah, it, it, and obviously comes across as a, still a very active and virile man, but it must be nice. He's just like, hey, just come here and record some stuff and be you. It's got to be really tempting. So, And you can do it at home. You don't have to put on pants. Most movies, when you're on screen, you have to put on pants. Not this movie. He mm -hmm. just wears the, the, the furry brown diaper. The furry, yep. right. <laughs> And still sexy on him. He he wears it well. Um, oh, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's great work if you can get it. I, gosh, I was just watching. Speaking of shows that our kids love, my children have just gotten into Milo Murphy's Law, which is a very very funny show cartoon that's on the, the Disney XD. And I recognized the, the the teacher's voice. I was like, who is that? Who is that? And Sarah Chalk. Um, probably best oh. best known as the other Becky from Roseanne, and also her role on Scrubs. She's made a nice career for herself doing uh, cartoon voice work, um, especially Rick and Morty. She's wonderful in that. Yeah, so it's always funny when you sort of recognize the voice. Although you know Brian Blessed, that's an easier voice to recognize. Yeah, yeah, and he uh, he was Lord Loxley too in uh, Prince of Thieves. Oh my gosh. Oh, we're going to have to watch Prince of Thieves now. Damn it. That's not necessarily a Robin. I, first off, we don't need that many Robin Hoods. <laughs> but, alright. Yeah, especially American ones. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, so he's uh, he's Kevin Costner's dad. Alright, alright. Yeah, it seems like a more of a natural for Friar Tuck, but I'll take it. Well, speaking of Robin Hood... 45 seconds into our minute, we, we make a transition from Sky City back to the swamp, and now we've got we've got Flash Gordon and Richard O'Brien's character kind of making their way up to the Robin Hood trysting tree. <laughs> <laughs> yep, Flash realizing that he has walked into a trap as Fico says, fail one with the knife in his back, literally stabbing him in the back. Yeah, a couple of things. First off, I have a tough time believing Riff Raff from uh, 
uh, right here picture show would be that good at rope climbing <laughs> i was gonna give a shout out to richard o'brien's climbing skills <laughs> Because Flash is just way there, he's kind of laboring his way up there. He he he's a good couple body lengths behind. Richard O'Brien is just like fluid, going straight up, just like he the Arborea, where they hang. He lives in these trees. He's totally in his element. And Eric, I'm glad that you gave some attention to that line because this is one of my favorite moments. This is why I wanted to swing in for this week, because it includes this cool exchange where Flash is betrayed, and and like you said, he's stabbed in the back, because it's just all about that dirty look that Flash Gordon gives them when he realizes uh, that he's been bamboozled and and (laughs) there are no weapons, it's just a trap, and just our minute ends with him just turning around and if looks could kill, then Mm. he would be dead. Yeah, that's that's a you scumbag look, absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's so, yeah, and he's irritated. He's like, ah. Yeah. He thought things were finally yeah. going his way a little bit. Flash just had a terrible day. Just everything just gets weirder and weirder, and he just finally got out of the, ca- the mud cage, and now it turns out this weasel's turned on him. It's like, ah, come on. Yeah, catch a break. We've got the next song from the Queen soundtrack in this minute. We've got a yes. song called Escape from the Swamp, and this is a Roger Taylor written song. I'm trying to think, what what are the breakdowns of which member of Queen wrote the most or the least amount of the songs for this album? I will tell you in one second. Let me call that up. Okay. Uh, all right, let's see. Um, Ryan May did most of them. Um, Roger Taylor only did, let's see, one, two, Roger Taylor worked on, there's 18 songs total. Roger Taylor did three of them. Uh, John Deacon did two of them. Uh, Freddie Mercury, one, two, three, four, five, and everything else, uh, Brian May. Hmm. Who wrote, who wrote the theme? The theme is Brian May. It's interesting. You sort of get the impression, or, and I think Queen themselves has been, um, sort of encouraging this view where Brian May seems like the real motor behind this band. He, he, he's the engine that keeps Queen going. Freddie Mercury was obviously an outrageous talent and a fantastic frontman, but not necessarily where the creative spark came from. It's like, it's almost like he, he would be almost the final ingredient to make these songs great because of how amazing, uh, in, in Brian May being this uh, incredible guitarist, um, and it's so you know, on one hand, I guess that makes sense. Him being so much the force behind uh, the lion's share of these songs. Hmm. But I will say that if you wanna if you wanna look for a really good deeper cut from the Flash Gordon soundtrack, this song in this minute, "Escape from the Swamp," is a really good setting the tone type song. Just dreary synths. It's when we've talked a lot about. You've talked a lot about the connections between thor ragnarok and flash gordon Mm. this is where you get a real parallel with their soundtracks and the work that mark mothersbaugh did for the thor ragnarok soundtrack so it's a really really cool song and it's not it's not strident and awesome and and anthemic 
like the Flash Gordon theme. It's really kind of creepy. And check it out. Yeah, it's the right song for this minute. So, I mean, for this scene. So uh, yeah, very good. It's so such good musicianship throughout the entire soundtrack between the different members of Queen and of course our our friend Howard Blake doing such amazing work. So. Um, yeah, it's pretty impressive. My only other note, I, uh, I, it's just, I missed saying it back when we were still in Voltan's uh, realm there. I just wanted to throw in, just because I called this out in yesterday's episode when I was talking about all the different color schemes of the wings and the clothes. We got another color this minute we didn't see yesterday. There were women with green wings who wore green clothes. So uh, mm. the men appear to all be one color. And the women all appear to be to have several different colors in the Hawkman world. All right, I, I would love to know what the uh, thought process was, if there's some sort of hierarchy, or what the motivation is behind the different colors. Uh, I, as has been addressed on this show before, I am colorblind, so this is a conversation that always goes over my head. It's like I didn't know they had different. Colors. <laughs> I just knew they all have wings. Or do I, they? Am I am I just punking you, Brad? <laughs> 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 this scene is great because Flash is wearing his pink t-shirt. <laughs> <sighs> I guarantee that there is some fan fiction out there talking about the the different social strata of Sky City and the significance of the different colors of wings and, and garb. If we dig deep enough, someone mm-hmm. has dedicated the time to to flesh that out in their headcanon. Definitely. And, and there also were a whole lot of Flash comic strips, and I'm sure they had different adventures that might have explored this better. Um, one thing that we've talked about a little bit is, in regards to the Flash Gordon comics that I wanted to actually bring up uh, this week, is I've asked several times, or wondered aloud several times, of when they... Um, if, if they still was being produced. And it turns out they, you can still find Flash Gordon in certain newspapers, but they are all reprints. They, the, the last uh, Flash Gordon comic came out in, I want to say 2002 or 2003. And it was actually a great way to wrap it up where they finish an adventure and Ming was poisoned and was uh, stuck in his own madness. And then the last comic strip was Flash kissing Dale and then Zarkov leading them on to their next adventure and says, oh, the adventures will always continue, and then them just reprinting it. Something that I think they did a good job with uh, this movie sort of capturing is there's always the next adventure. There's always the next crazy thing. There's always the next uh, uh, amazing situation that they're going to get into and going and uh, has been pointed out. This movie does a great job of sort of capturing the feel of the comic strip because they're they're always getting into the crazy situations and they're all pretty self-contained and pretty short until they go to the next one. So uh, so that took us way off our path, but I had to call out because I actually <laughs> did some research this week. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember who wrote and illustrated the Flash Gordon comic that you were talking about? Was it the Jeff Parker, Evan Doc Shaner, Dynamite Press? Jim Keefe was the... Um, artist uh who, who was basically given flash gordon to to wrap it up and mm-hmm. uh what was called out is when they do the reprints they sometimes do update sections of art like i think they talked about how they reprinted a comic that was produced in the 90s where he talks to the president and they updated it when it was reprinted so instead of him talking with uh, president clinton he was talking with president obama so I still think he oversees what's re-released, 
It's just they have um, so many thousands and thousands of Flash Gordon, and it's probably just cheaper and easier to just reprint those old stories rather than producing new stuff. And comics aren't what they used to be popularity because newspapers aren't what they used to be. Why put out new content, especially because it became a Sunday-only comic strip, and that's tough. It's tough to have a narrative when it's just once a week. Well, I would definitely recommend that Jeff Parker, Evan Duck, Shaner, Flash Gordon trade paperback for for fans of this movie. That they really drew some of the elements that make Sam Jones performance work and then some of the things that were cool about the comics going all the way back to the 40s exploring strange worlds and all the kind of fantastic aliens that that can do with the unlimited budget of your imagination and a pencil in a comic book Mm. Uh, but they what they take from the movie is instead of him being that square-jawed science adventurer he's more of a impulsive pilot who will just jump right into danger so he he, it makes him more likable because he's got a little bit of that that innocent good not the wisest (laughs) hero Um, and and it's really a lot of fun the art is fantastic and um, it's really a nice compliment to this movie yeah yeah we recommend doing that we'll have to include a link the only thing that, uh, and this leads into to next minute, is I expected these guys to just be a little wetter and a little dirtier from chilling in the mud up to their necks. So they seem kind of dry and a little, little clean to me coming up out of the, the swamp. So that was the only other thing I saw consistently that I kind of expected them to be a little like bleh, a little mucky coming out, and they really weren't. Yeah, and Flash's hair is still perfect. Yes. They are not messing with that hair. Guys, it's been another great minute, and we're looking forward to wrapping this up tomorrow. Uh, Molly, please share where people can find out about your uh, your, your little slice of the internet. So uh, I was a co-host of Cabin Minute Cast, which is uh, Movies by Minute Jam, uh, where we looked at Cabin in the Woods minute by minute, and uh, with co-host Heidi Bennett, and you can find us at cabinminutecast.com. Big fan of Heidi. I've uh, been able to work with her in the past, and she's always so much fun. So uh, mm-hmm. re- recommend checking that out. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeffrey Harden. That's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y. And... As most of you probably know, I'm the co-creator with Brad of our Mothership podcast, the Cosmic Geppetto podcast, and so I'm a frequent contributor there, and I also kind of play a little bit of a similar role where I try to find cool guests like yourself, Molly. So, Woo! <laughs> so um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm always looking to find folks that want to come and talk it's, uh, about their work on the Cosmic Geppetto podcast, so you can hit me up about that, and you can hear me there. Cool. And Eric, where can people find out more about Flash Gordon Minute? Well, if you want to chat with Jarf, I mean with us on uh, Twitter, uh, <laughs> Flash Gordon Pod, uh, join us on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex or email us at fleshgordonminute at gmail.com. So, yeah, so we recommend, uh, and as we brought up yesterday, uh, for this month we're doing a thing where for every rating review we receive on iTunes, we're making a donation to the uh, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, where Jarf and our previous guest Kathleen both work and doing amazing, important work. Um, so we ask that you're, it doesn't cost you anything, you end up uh, donating to a good cause just by uh, giving us a rating review. So uh, we ask that you do that. Uh, this has been another amazing minute. 
it, and we're really looking forward to finishing out strong for this week. But, Eric, I'm, I'm feeling a little ashamed. Oh, shame, eh? Feeling some shame. Just watching Riff Raff from uh, Right Here Picture Show climbing the rope so easily, and I'm like, I, I don't think I could. I, I definitely cannot climb a rope like that now. I don't think I ever could. Uh, and I'm just like, what's wrong with me? Why have I, do I not have the same rope climbing abilities as the hunchback from that musical? You know, I mean, listen, if you've got bicep envy, tricep envy, wrist strength envy, deltoid envy, pec envy, whatever kind of envy you've got compared to the riffraff, don't worry. Flash will save every one of us. Attention listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at FlashGordonPod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute. Yeah.